everyone, and welcome to Farm Bureau on the Hill, the podcast where we bring you the latest from the state capitol in Nashville and all other policy-related issues. I'm Thomas Cabs, and I'm joined by Shelby Vinoy with our Public Policy Division here at the Tennessee Farm Bureau Federation. Shelby, how are you? I'm good, and I guess, should we call you Uncle Thomas now, now that we have a new member <laughs> of the Communications? we got a new member, don't yeah. we? Yeah, so, so exciting. exciting, for sure. Uh, if you don't know, Amy Beckham, who normally hosts this podcast, uh, had her baby yeah. last week. So, uh, big news and very exciting times here at the Farm Bureau. That's right. Uh, also exciting times in Asheville. Really busy, it sounds like, and... Uh, I guess we ought to just hop right into it, our priority issues. Uh, We've got three moving next week. Is that right? That's right. And you said it was exciting times. I don't know that I would call them exciting times, Thomas. (laughs) Let's see. It's a little too optimistic, but they are um, busy times nonetheless. And next week, I think, will be kind of the test run to see if our stamina will hold up because we do have three priority issues moving next week. Um, We have the farmland preservation bill, which is... Moving on to the House full committee, full ag committee, it was successful in the subcommittee this week with an amendment that we talked a little bit about last week that just put some of the members on the subcommittee at a little bit more at ease about what the future of those conservation agricultural easement programs look like. So that bill will be moving in both the House ag full committee on Wednesday morning and then later in the day on Wednesday, it will go before the Senate Energy, Agriculture and Natural Resources Committee. Um, still some confusion on what the bill does over in the Senate, but we're optimistic that um, hopefully with some of our industry partners and with our friends at the department that we can continue to clear that up. Another priority issue that's moving is our solar tasser study implementation bill. Representative Chris Hurt was successful in the House this week in the Agriculture Subcommittee. Uh, he was able to get that through um, unanimously, I might add. So good job, Representative Hurt. So that will move on to the House Ag Full Committee also on Wednesday morning. And just as a reminder, this is a implementation bill of sorts from the Tasser study that was concluded in September of last year that would just allow some protections for protections and resources, I would say, for landowners and local governments, as well as some of the solar development companies. Um, And then finally, our third priority issue that's moving next week, Representative Eldridge will present our Greenbelt legislation um, before the Property and Planning Subcommittee. So this would um, increase the acreage cap from where it sits at 1,500 acres. The Senate version has it at 5,000 acres. It's our intent to move forward with an amendment in the House that would increase it to 3,000 acres. Um, our thinking is is that if we can have a couple a couple different options out there, both on the fiscal note side, it, by lowering the acreage, it lowers the fiscal impact. Um, but it also gives us uh, an opportunity to have more conversations with the property assessors as well as uh, local governments about how do we move forward and trying to reform Greenbelt, but also uh, not coming at a financial burden to local governments. So it sounds um, we have our hands full next week with priority issues. <laughs> yeah, Greenbelt, always something that seems mm-hmm. to be on the radar for sure. Um, yep. So definitely going to keep an eye on that. And also a reminder, we still have an ongoing action alert for the Farmland Preservation Act. So you can check out your alert or go to the Action Center at tnfarmbureau.org for more information and to contact your lawmaker. So moving on from priority issues, seems like several other items you all are tracking. We're hurting committee this week. Uh, Give us an update on, on some of those that happened in Nashville. So along with our four priority issues this year, we do have a handful of other bills that 
We're tracking because they're of interest to us. Maybe we have policy that either explicitly supports it or explicitly opposes it. So although we super engage on our priority issues, there's lots of other issues that we engage on throughout the year. And now that we're deep into the committee process, those some of those issues are coming to light. Um, some of those, one of, one of which actually this morning passed in the Senate, it's already passed in the House, so it heads to the governor's desk. It has to do with um, veterinary practice clarification um, with the Veterinary Practice Act. So currently, um, it was vocalized by some some folks in the veterinary medicine industry that if they were to suspect abuse, that the reporting of that is unclear as far as what protections that the veterinarian has. So there's been a legislation filed and and passed that would just provide clarification that if, you know, you were to bring in, if a patient was to bring in an animal and there was abuse suspected, it clarifies what that process looks like going forward for the vet. Um, One other thing that our friend uh, Chairman Rusty Grills of the House Ag Subcommittee passed was a resolution that passed unanimously in the Senate at the tail end of last week. So we're still kind of celebrating that win. The resolution kind of has to do with the dicamba uh, situation with that the ruling that came from the Arizona federal court, but the resolution honors and recognizes Tennessee farmers and the practices that they use. We recognize that dicamba is a great tool in the tool belt when it comes to those who maybe are soybean or cotton farmers and uh, we hope that we can continue to have that discussion on utilizing that technology. So we, Representative Grills is a row crop farmer himself, and I'm sure he uses these products. So it's one of those that hit close to home for him, and we were happy to be a help in trying to get that across the finish line. So um, and I think, Thomas, we've got that on the website, too, if anybody wants to read that. It's also linked in the alert. Yep. A few other things that are we're tracking both this week and, and moving into next week, but there's two bills that Representative Jeremy Faison has filed that have to do with eminent domain, um, one of which would make it where you a, gov- a local government could not utilize eminent mm, – that's a hard word to say. That's a it? very hard word to say. <laughs> a local government could not utilize eminent domain um, for the purpose of building any type of parks or recreations. I think there was a, a local situation in Representative Faison's district, so he just wants to put that out there that – they can't come and, and declare eminent domain in order to build a park or a, a ball field or anything of that sort. Um, the other one has to do with the preponderance of the evidence, which is a, a much above my pay grade legal term that has to do with the reasons why eminent domain would be utilized. So clarifying some things on that. Um, we've been supportive of both of those bills and they are either one is headed to the floor. The other is still up for consideration in the civil justice committee. Um, and all of these bills that I've talked about are included in this week's legislative alert. So if there's something that interests you and you want to read more, definitely go check there. Um, and then the final thing this week was a piece of legislation that had to do with, uh, cell cultured protein. This is something that we heard about all summer long throughout our policy development process and this new emerging technology about lab-grown protein. And um, while we recognize that that is a potential threat to our industry, and we definitely want to support those that are beef, pork, and poultry producers, but um, this particular piece of legislation established a state-only label, and Farm Bureau has historically been opposed to state labels because it... We border 
tons of states. And we have so many producers that sell across those state lines. And so at that point, when we start labeling different than Kentucky labels and Alabama and Arkansas, it becomes an interstate commerce issue. So that's something that thankfully Representative Carr, I think, sees where Farm Bureau is coming from. He's up in Upper East Tennessee and borders a couple states in his neck of the woods. So he understands the potential nightmare that that could cause. And we were able to send that particular bill about cell culture protein to a summer study, which means that we'll continue the conversation, but that no legislative action will be taken on that particular bill this year. So um, this was not an attempt for us to just push it aside and we'll, we may or may not deal with it. We do anticipate having a conversation, but how do we have that conversation without inhibiting our producers' ability to market their goods across state lines? So, um we chase a lot of squirrels downtown, Thomas. <laughs> it sounds like it. I mean, uh, a busy week to say the mm-hmm. least, but it sounds like productive week. Yeah, I would agree. So what does next week hold? Next week, I think we'll be just as busy. We've got, I mentioned our Farmland Preservation Act is in both committees in both the House and the Senate. The House committee meets Wednesday at 9 a.m. The Senate committee meets Wednesday at 1130. So we'll be running back and forth trying to make sure that everything With that continues along the right track, Uh, the solar tasser implementation bill will be in the Ag Full Committee. Representative Hurt will present that. And then our priority issue uh, will, Greenbelt Bill, will begin its journey in the House. And that bill has already started its journey in the Senate. But because it has a fiscal impact, it is sitting in the Senate Finance Ways and Means Committee. So from there, they'll have to pass the actual budget before they can go back and handle that. So um, we're going to let Representative Eldridge play catch-up in the House while Senator Wally's version um, sits in the wings and waits for him in the Senate Finance Committee. So any idea when things might start wrapping up and slowing down a little bit? Um, My gut reaction is not soon enough. (laughs) But I do think, thankfully, things are slowing down, sort of. Um, If you are a listener that is on the Hill with us, then... You probably just laughed at that statement because next week and the week after are going to be incredibly busy. But I do feel like we're starting to see the end, the light at the end of the tunnel because over a dozen committees have announced their plans to hear their final calendar in the coming weeks. So the legislative process, obviously, you have to go through either a subcommittee, full committee, maybe finance committee. So a bill could take multiple weeks to get through the process. Uh, when these subcommittees start shutting down, it's a, a, a domino effect. So subcommittees will close, full committees will finish their business, and then we'll get to the point where everything is either in the finance committee or on the House or Senate floor, and that's when the super long days come. But the Senate Energy, Agriculture, and Natural Resources Committee plans to hear their final calendar next Wednesday. So I think there's 40 bills on that calendar, so it will be a very long meeting, but One thing Chairman Sutherland takes pride in is that he is always the first Senate committee to close down, and um, it's going to be tight this year. I think Senate Transportation plans to close next Wednesday as well, but he is going to try to race Chair Lady Massey to the finish line on that. So what does that mean for folks who may not know? Anything special to know on the last Senate Ag Committee calendar? Yeah, so when I say that they have their final calendar, there's a process to where if you want a bill to be heard, you have to put it on notice, so to speak. And so you have to do that the week prior to when the bill is heard in committee. So with what this means that the Senate Energy Committee is closing next week, that they will hear their final calendar. Um, if there is a bill that has been referred to the Senate Energy Committee and it is not calendared for next week, then it will not be heard this year. Um, and that the same goes for every other committee. There has to be the committees closed subject to the call of the chair. So 
when a final calendar is published and they adjourn, then it has to have special permission to open back up. So typically, uh, there are some extraordinary circumstances, but typically, once a committee closes, their business is done for the year. So because this is also the second half of a general assembly, if a bill is not heard in committee this year, then when they adjourn sine die, hopefully in April, then we start back at a clean slate next January. So if there's a bill that's not been heard and it doesn't get calendared, then essentially it meets its its fateful end on the clerk's desk, so to speak. So as far as things that we're watching on the last Senate ag calendar, I mentioned there's 40 bills. Um, there's several animal health bills that are on that calendar that we're watching. Um, we've mentioned this time and time again, but Farm Bureau adamantly opposes any bill that would have an adverse effect on a livestock owner's ability to either effectively treat their animal or to market their good. So that has to do with, you know, we oppose all state labels. I've mentioned that today and it sound like a broken record, but, um, Anything that has to do with banning the authority of our state veterinarian, there's one piece of legislation on calendar that ties the hands of the state vet's office to where, aside from mandatory quarantining a herd, she, in this case, Dr. Beatty, could not um, mandate any type of vaccinations for livestock. And she's never exerted that authority. I don't know that a state vet's ever exerted that authority. But not if, but when we were to find ourselves in, in a position where animal disease was found in Tennessee, such as African swine fever, or, um, you know, we've had year after year, we've dealt with highly pathogenic avian influenza, whatever the next big disease is. um, If she needed to exert that authority, this bill would take that power away from her. And we just don't think that's a a good precedent to set. It takes a, a key tool out of the toolbox for those trusted officials. So we do oppose this legislation. That is calendared in Senate Energy, as well as in the House subcommittee. So we've been working that committee. Um, There's a couple other captions relative to animal vaccines that we don't exactly know what they do, but um, we're watching them and monitoring them and we're standing ready to oppose any effort that would regulate or limit a livestock owner's ability to raise or market their goods. Um, Also in the Senate Energy Committee, there are Um, Some bills that deal with uh, local government and and control of farming operations. Um, There's a few that deal with specific farming practices. We have some concerns with those just because there's some practices that, although they may not be palatable to the the smell or or to the site, they are essential to agricultural practice. And we are going to do everything we can to protect those agricultural practices as unique as they may be. So, we have a lot of concern with any type of bill that would um, expand local government's ability to control agricultural practices. So um, a lot of that sounds negative, but it does seem like in the last week we're of a committee, we play a lot of defense. So um, we're padding up and ready to head into the, to the tackle next week. Well, it's good to hear that there's at least some light at the end of the tunnel for yeah. y'all in downtown. Um, any other housekeeping items for listeners before we go? I would say my regularly scheduled housekeeping items, uh, legislative visits, are just two weeks away, March 12th and 13th. We've been kind of hearing from some members of counties who have already made those appointments with their lawmakers. Great job. If you haven't done that, please do that. Um, there's Kevin and I are just a team of two down there trying to do the work of over 690,000 family members. So the fact that uh, we're going to have representation from their home county in um, please take every opportunity you can to meet with your local lawmakers, uh, both your House and Senate member. 
Um, so we look forward to seeing y'all on March 12th and 13th. The week following is Ag Day on the Hill on March 19th. So we'll have two weeks back to back of just some good old promotion of the agriculture industry. And then if you aren't receiving the legislative alert, because we refer a lot to it, both on the podcast and in writing on the website, if you're not receiving the alert, contact your County Farm Bureau or um, email me, email Kevin, the Public Policy Division. We'd love to make sure that you're on that list so you're getting those updates. Yeah, the alert is such a great resource to keep track of everything happening at the legislature. Well, Shelby, thank you for joining us and uh, go get some rest. Sounds like y'all had a very busy week. Thanks, Thomas. Well, you can also get the latest updates on policy issues and other ag-related news at tnfarmbureau.org and by following the Tennessee Farm Bureau Federation on Facebook, X, and Instagram. I'm Thomas Caps. This is Farm Bureau on the Hill.